This morning, I want to speak uh, from what many would consider um, probably the most famous of Jesus' parables, and certainly, um, certainly one that uh, that I think the church thinks they own the narrative on, and yet I think maybe there's a lot that's been said um, that it, or that has not been said that can be gleaned from this passage. It's probably my favorite. I used to when I traveled with Bishop Johnson or Sidney Smith to Mexico. This is always my go-to, I, I think, because I identify, as many of us will, um, with one of these two sons in this parable. Um, but for several hundred years now, this parable has been known as the parable of the prodigal son. Hundreds of years now. And I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. Um, but it, we focus on that part. Son comes to father. They all love. They're good to go. And we normally stop right there. We do... You know, if it's a traditional service, you do an altar call or whatever right there, we don't get the rest of the story. And, and we miss, in my opinion, some of the deepest revelation of this story is not about just the, what we call the prodigal son or the elder son, but the prodigal father. That's what I'm going to talk to you about today, the prodigal father. Probably sounds heretical, but just hang, bear with me because it's not. If you look up the word prodigal, that's why we sang the word reckless love. Prodigal means one who spends recklessly. extravagantly that's the way the father loves indeed there was a prodigal son a young son there was an elder brother but the narrative is not about the sons the whole narrative of this is the way to approach and the approach of the prodigal father Luke chapter 15 I'm reading from New American Standard Luke chapter 15 Jesus gives three parables here, but we're going to jump on into this one. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. The King James says, riotous living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Imagine this. Remember Jesus' the context of everything Jesus is teaching and his crowd. Jewish. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, King James says, when he came to himself. And I'm going to, I do want to, I don't want to belabor the point, but I do want to hang here for a little bit because there's such good, good revelation in this. And many of us can identify this. When he finally came to himself, when he finally came, I would like to say to the end of himself. When everything he had got from Father, in terms of tangible items, when everything that he had gotten from Father was gone, he comes to himself, he remembers just one thing about Father. And essentially, the one thing he remembers about the Father is, he's good and his house always has plenty. Isn't it good to know that no matter where we are, we can be in the lowest places of our life, having squandered everything he's given us, and we can know one thing for sure, Father is still good and his household still has plenty. And he came to himself. And he said, how many of my father's men have more than enough bread? 
and I I lie here dying with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me as one of your hired men. He did not ask to become a slave. He asked to become a hired man. So he got up and came into his father. But while he was still a long way off, I can't help it. I'm a mess when I read this because I identify with this kid. When he, when he was still a far way off, he hadn't made it back yet. Nothing left. Running with everything he has, the father looks out from his porch and sees, there's my boy. That's my boy. That's my son. But Jesus is not trying to get an emotional response because by and large, the crowd that he's talking to are not going to be crying at the end of his story. They're going to be fuming. It's true. I'm going to prove it to you and tell you why and tell you why it gives all of us hope. That's my boy. And Father, we know he leaps off the porch and goes running for his son. The son's plan is to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you and in your sight and I'm not worthy to be called your son. The father does not even give the son the chance to open up his apology before he's falling on him, embracing him. The Bible says falling upon his neck and kissing him. One translation says he simply could not stop kissing him. And he says, bring a robe from the house. You know the story. Bring a, I mean, this is awesome. And when we hear it with Western mindset, and it's okay because that's how I hear it because I'm from here. I was, believe it or not, contrary to, I'm going to tell you this quick story. Contrary to belief, I'm not that old. I was at my soccer practice last week, and I had all my kids around me, and I stretch out with them because I want to make sure they're doing it right. This is our first stretch. Stretched out. And this beautiful little girl, Brianna, who I adore and she adores me, says, Come on, guys. If coach can do it, you can do it. He's at least 50 something. And I said, I'm what? I stood up real quick. I'm what? I said, Whoa, stop there. How old do you guys think I am? She said, Well, you have white in your beard. I will say, I went home that afternoon and it was. I said, 50 something. Not that there's something wrong with me, 50 something, but let me get there before you declare me there. You know? So I asked him, I said, How old do you guys think I am? And one of them said, I was thinking like 25 or 26. I said, You don't run today. You're good. (laughs) Brianna's running for you. (laughs) So, yes, when I hear this story as a 41 year old man who looks 25, not so. But I hear it this way because I put myself in the story. I know that Father pursued me. It's never been about my pursuit of Father. It's been about my realizing, my pursuit is realizing He's been the one pursuing me. And Father comes and falls on him. He kisses him. He says, bring a robe from the house and put it on him. Bring new shoes and bring a ring, which would have been a signet ring, which means now he can sign my name. He has the same authority, same standing that he had before. You're not going to be a hired servant. Did you know that by the, him saying I was going to be a hired servant, literally what he was saying was, I want to come back and work my way back into your good graces with what I could do. Because I've messed up. Because you got to think, for the father to have given, he had two sons, and in those days the oldest son would always get a double portion of the father's inheritance. 
So if he, if he had a double portion, that means the younger son would get one-third of the father's estate, which was most likely the father, it was the father's land, which means for the father to give the son what was coming to him, father would have had to sell a third of his property so that he could properly give his son what he'd asked for. But that only happened upon the death of the father. And so essentially when the son comes and says to the father, give me the portion of the estate that falls to me, he was essentially saying, I wish you dead because I don't care about you or relationship. I just want what I can get from you. Literally wished him dead. And, he and, the and yet the father, what's his response? I'll give it to you. And so the son goes and squanders this. He's on his way back. Father falls in his neck, kisses him. The son is going to say, look, I want to work the rest of my life. I'm not going to live in your house, but I'm going to come work here. And if I earn enough money, I can buy back what you gave me. I can buy back my way into the family. And the father says, I'll have none of it. Bring a ring now. Bring shoes now. Bring the robe now. You are completely made back into the family. He conferred sonship in a moment. Whoa, and right here, we could belabor it a little longer. I could dramatize it probably a little better. And right here is where we're going to, now let's call the altar and get them all up here to pray. I've got them all in my story. You've heard this how many times? Thousands of times, hundreds of times, tens, dozens. If you're a first-timer, still a good story. And by and large, this is where the story stops. This is the climax of the story, yet we've not gotten to the climax of the story yet. Father saw him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven in, in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slave, quickly bring out the best robe. What robe was it? And, and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. He literally was dead. Not in the natural, but he was dead as in cut off, removed from the family. He had wished his father dead, and so he was separated, as many of us were. For he was lost and has been found, and they begin to celebrate. So father's going to kill the fatted calf, which was a delicacy, which means the whole, the whole community was going to come and enjoy this. Let's make a feast. Let's make a celebration. Tell everybody, my son has come back home. Let's celebrate. End of story, except it's not. Now the older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and now he's not willing to go back up to where father is. And his father does what father always does when sons are about the property and not want to come to the feast. He goes out to them. Not only did he go to what we call the prodigal son, but prodigal father goes to the elder son who is completely and utterly upset that father is having a party for the, his brother who has just come home. The reality is it should have been the elder brother running to greet the son that came home and bring him back to the father. 
It would not have been normal for father to leave his place and to leave his estate and go running. He would sit there and send his, his, the elder brother who was now the inheritor of all things to go and, and rescue younger brother. But older brother is ticked and he's ticked for a good reason because anything that the father confers upon younger son is taken away from elder brother's inheritance. When he said bring the best robe, that robe, if he doesn't happen and give it to the younger son, will ultimately become property of the elder brother. The ring that the younger son gets, if it's not conferred upon the younger brother, it will be the property of the older brother. So everything father does, he's essentially taken from what would be the inheritance of the elder brother, God help me Jesus, and given it to younger brother. And so he's ticked. I'm not coming in the house. No interest at all. So his father comes out, begins pleading with him, but he answered and said to his father, look, doesn't call him father, just says, look, and here we're going to go, we're going to spout off all those things I've done. For so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected the command of yours. And yet you've never given me so much as one young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours, which is absolutely true because everything the father has left belongs to the elder brother upon the death of the father. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. I want to read through a couple of my notes, tell you what I think about the prodigal father, and then we'll see what the Lord decides to do. I want to pass through a little bit. Younger son demands his his inheritance father gives it to him which would have been the amazement of the people because he wished death upon him they would have expected father to drive the son out younger son would have been driven out in their in their culture you come and wish death upon father then you're going to be taken outside the city gates and probably stoned certainly not certainly father's not going to agree to your demands but he divided his living among them living in living in, in the original language is the, his bios his life his present state of existence, his livelihood. He literally divided his life among them. So the father literally tore his life apart to give the younger son his portion. And the younger son takes off and wastes every part of his inheritance on wild living. Finally, after the inheritance is gone, he comes home. You know, he's fully accepted, fully given back. Completely conferred sonship. Best day of the father's life. His son's home, relationship restored, all is well except that the older son now is upset because we're celebrating younger, younger brother. That he doesn't call brother anymore. He says to the father, this son of yours, he does not want to identify with him. I'm trying to work through eight pages of notes here in just a few more minutes. 
He refu- the elders, elder brother refuses to go to father's house. So the prodigal father leaves the house again to plead with his elder son and says, look, I've never left this place. Father, I've never left you. I've never squandered. He likes to emphasize this one thing, and I've kept all your commands. The idea of the story was not just to tell an emotional story to say you can come back home and the Father will accept you. That's a part of the story, but that's not it. Literally what Jesus is trying to do is cause the people in his crowd to draw a contrast between the son that did everything wrong and the son that did everything right. The son that didn't keep any commands and went completely, utterly against the nature and the will of the Father versus the son who lived in the house, served the Father, and kept his commands, every one of his commands. And he's trying to draw a contrast because the reality is he's telling these people everything that you think you've ever known about Father God is not true. They're not happy with him. They're stunned at what he's saying. He has his disciples with him. And the background of the people that he's talking to are church leaders, Pharisees, um, people that have kept the law, and they think that they have a relationship with God by the keeping of the law. And Jesus is saying has nothing to do with you keeping commands or you keeping the law. It has zero to do with that. Are you with me? The older brother was identifying his goodness and worthiness with his own good works. Father simply says, son, you have always been with me and all that I have is yours. But it's right to celebrate because my lost son has returned. He was dead and he's alive. But the son cares nothing for that because all he cares about is the same thing the younger son cared about. What do I get from you? And if what I get from you is diminished because of what someone else gets from you, I'm not happy with you. I don't care about relationship with you. I certainly don't care about us communing. I want to know what do I get from this. Jesus' listeners would not be wiping tears as if he's told a seminal story, but many would have been enraged because he literally just told them everything you think you know about it, being accepted and approved by God is wrong. He's saying keeping law, keeping commands will never cause you to become approved by the Father. And he's saying screwing up and making a mess can never keep you from the loving grasp of the Father. He's literally re-identifying, reshaping who God really is. Because for so many hundreds, if not thousands of years, they had never known the true, if they had truly known Him, if they had known the nature of the Father, there would have been no need for Jesus to come. But these men saw glimpses. And, and we take glimpses and say, this is the totality. But that was never the totality. The only perfect lens through which we can see perfectly the heart of the Father is the life of Jesus Christ. And so he's telling them, look, boys, you've just seen a little bit, but you have no idea what Father's like. He is a prodigal father. He extravagantly wants to spend his wealth on you. He has no problem. He'll not withhold any good thing from you. He loves recklessly and with, and with total abandon and out of his nature and not in response to good or bad works. I'm a father of six children. I love all of them equally and yet, and yet differently. If you're, if 
you're parent to multiple and you're a good parent, you know what I'm talking about. It's not that you love one more than the other. That's never the case. You just love them differently. The relationship is different. There's not one thing either one of those six children could do that will cause me to say, I can't stand you. Be away from me. You're not my son. You're not my daughter. Obviously, I love when children obey me and do it with, with six kids. Can you imagine if they don't? Liz and I went to eat uh, out that the other night just to get away. You know, we, we used to have to lock the kids in the basement to do that. Not la- I'm not kidding. We turned the lock around backwards on the basement door so the knob of the thing was on the outside. We'd lock them in so they would leave. <laughs> They're old enough for us to leave now. So every once, once every six, eight, ten, twelve weeks, we get like an hour and a half just to come up for bre- for, come up for air. And uh, we're eating, and we sit down, and there, uh, every time that we go out to eat, every single time we sit down, the two of us, this is going to be lovely. And there's always that one little kid banging up against the table, crying on the table, throwing food. And the parents are uh, apparently oblivious to what they're doing because, I, I mean, it was so bad the other night, I wanted to grab the kid by the back of his collar and say, little boy, if you don't sit down, I'm going to have to help you, and I'm going to help your daddy too. I mean, it was insane. I'm like, well, I'm like, the parents are the ones drinking, but the kids are acting like demons. My God, give that kid something to drink. Maybe he'll mellow out. <laughs> I love you. I love. I'm gonna hug every one of you right now. It was, it was insane. I'm like, shut up. I mean, honestly, finally, Elizabeth said, you got to know Elizabeth. You ever, uh, you won't get, probably won't get the opportunity. If you ever get an opportunity to spend a lot of time with Elizabeth, if she ever starts uh, clenching her teeth and the little corner of her jaw's out, you better run. Because the next act is smoke comes out of the ears. <laughs> and she was hot. And I'm like, and the waitress, I said, ma'am, can you please come over here and uh, find us a different table? She said, what do you mean? I said, well, we have six kids, and we're not eating with them, and we don't eat with their kids either. <laughs> she put us in the bar. It was a great meal. We got up and the, the, the parents were flabbergasted. How dare you get up and walk away from our wonderful little demons that have destroyed your wonderful meal. Did I say demons out loud? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Your, your kids are precious and wonderful, loved by God, and need, to, and need to be put in their place when they need to be put in their place. I'd like to help some of you with that. God is my witness, I would. I'm serious. Who said preaching? I mean, I, I want to help some of them. Look. Look, here's the, here's the thing. Fathers and mothers, if you're married, you live together with kids, there is going to come a day when their kids are, your kids are going to be gone. And if your life is completely wrapped up in what you can do for little Jenny or little Bessie Sue, you ain't going to have a life when they leave. You better find time for each other and let them have their proper place. But they were never created or meant to run your household. And if they are, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and you're going to stay tired. Clap for that. God, that's a good one, ain't it? The first, the first clap of the day. <laughs> yeah they were that's good they were never meant to run your house oh, but huh preaching good father so, so the point of it is I love my children nothing can nothing they can do to change my love of course if my children do well I want to reward them doing well if they don't do well then they're punished But there's, Henry, there's no amount of good works you can do that will cause the Father's heart to you to be more towards you. And there's not one thing you can do that will cause him to turn his heart away from you. And anybody that says anything other than that, tell them, God bless you, you just don't know the truth yet. 
I used to be a lot meaner than that. I'm trying to get better. Who laughed? <laughs> I am. I'm getting better. He is for you. There's not a thing you can do to lose His love and there's not a thing you can do to earn His love. There's not a thing you can do to lose your acceptance in His family and there's not a thing you can do to earn your way back into the family. You just are. The story is not about prodigal son and the story is not about elder brother, which by the way, there's a whole lot about elder brother that I said. When we're speaking of elder brother, the Bible says that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ because we did have an elder brother. He did see us. He did choose to share with us his inheritance. He did choose to bring us back into the Father's house. Can anybody say thank you for Jesus? He did choose to include us. He was not like the elder brother of this story. Jesus was contrasting the Pharisees that had kept all the law versus those that had never kept any law and said, look, Father loves all of you. He's the prodigal father. He's the extravagant loving, extravagant spending, reckless loving father. That's why we sang it. He's he, the, the reckless love of God. And that guy, Corey Hasbury, has gotten so much heat from that song, mostly from religious zealots that just need help and probably needed a spanking growing up. I said growing up. Some of them could probably use one right now. I'm just saying, I'm volunteer for the job. <laughs> no. No. Recklessly loves. The whole narrative is about the Father and our approach to Him and His approach to us. That's what it is. That's the story. And the reality is the way that we approach him is the way that a child approaches father. She's not in here. Rachel is in here. Or Gigi, I take any, either one of them. They're, they're back in children's church and they own that place, don't they? They love it back there. Can I use Sam? Will she come up? Sam, will you come up here for a minute? You don't want to? That's okay. Rachel comes and climbs in my lap and asks for anything. It's automatically hers and I really don't care what she looks like. You, you see Rachel on Sundays, and she's up here doing her little dance. I, I know, I've noticed some of you watch. We encourage the children in this house to worship and to feel free during worship. My, that started with my father. That's not original to me. That started with him. And if you teach people to be comfortable in the presence of the Lord when they're little kids, then they're going to be comfortable in his presence the rest of their lives. If the whole time that they're in his presence, you tell them, sit down, shut up, and don't move, don't ask God what in the world happened when they're 15 and don't have any interest in coming to church with you. Well, what happened? You told them to sit down and shut up for 15 years. So finally now they've sit down and shut up and it'll take an act of God to ever get them up again. But that is not the way Rachel dresses through the week. Rachel asked me, she likes to go on dates. And so Rachel and I go on dates, which normally consists of me taking her either to the Dollar General because it's closer to Walmart if we want to be, you know, spendy. She's just sick. She doesn't know yet. And, we, and we'll hold hands, and she'll pick out stuff. The last time we went to Walmart, she literally wore um, uh, Belle from Beauty and the Beast. She has that outfit. She wore that. She wore a tiara on her head and snow boots, <laughs> which was awesome. And, and before, I, like with Abby, I'd be like, oh, babe, come on. You can't do that. You know, that, this reflects poorly upon me. Go get something else on these days, I just, the crazier the better. I, I just love it. I love it. And it doesn't matter to me what she wears or doesn't wear, what she, uh, you know, whether she, her hair is fixed or not, she's gorgeous to me anyway because I'm her father. 
And, and that's the way Father is with you. He doesn't really care about if you're dressed up, not dressed up. He actually likes some of your quirkiness because he gave you a unique personality and he didn't want a whole bunch of robots walking around just like the next person. And a lot of churches uh, these days is to modify behavior so that we all look alike, think alike, sing alike. Jesus wasn't like that at all. He, 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 he's, he did and he does love your uniqueness. We, need, we, we definitely need it. Don't, stop trying to be something you're not. My father said, used to say years and years and years, he said, God went to, make great, went to great lengths to make you an original. Don't die a cheap copy. I found out later the reason that he, one of the reasons that he said that is because for many of his life, he tried to be a cheap copy of Elvis and decided we don't need another Elvis. What we need is Tony Bunn. Thank God we got him. <laughs> you know, he taught us, most of us that are here to love. The narrative, is, the narrative is prodigal father. The understanding is there's nothing you can do to earn your way into the father's house, and there's nothing you can do to lose your way in the father's house. He's, his, the promises of God are always yes and amen. I know there are some of you that feel estranged from father, and I want to let you know, anytime that you feel estranged from the father, he has not left his place. In the garden, when, when Father came looking for Adam, which was what he did every single day, they always talked. He always came walking the garden to cool the heat. It was not new. And he says, Adam, why did you, where are you, Adam? And Adam says, I heard your voice walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Anytime you feel estranged from the Father, it's not him the one hiding. I love the way the Father responds to him. He says, who told you you were naked? Essentially what he said was, I'm not the one that said that. You did not hear that from me. I've never called you to be or said that you were without. You have seen yourself as being without something, as being unclothed, and that is a lie. From the, for, and I know who the lie came from. Who told you you were naked? This morning, I would say to those of you that may feel estranged from the Father, whoever told you that you're without or that you had to put something on to be accepted by Father, they, they lied to you. Maybe they meant to do it. Maybe they didn't mean to do it, but it's not true. You come to the Father just as you are. So if you're one that feels estranged, turn back to the Father. No amount of law keeping is going to win you back in. It's His love. And no amount of sin is going to keep you from His love. Well, that's a pretty simple message today, right? And the Logan's rolls are still hot. Shandai. They're not. They come out every eight minutes. Let me get that. <laughs> Says the girl that works there. I'll, yeah, I'll come. She works there. But she told him, I'm not working on Sundays anymore. I'm trying to go to church. Good for you. Good for you. So if you feel estranged from the Father, turn your face back to Him. I love how the Son's, He's got this whole big thing planned out. He say, Father, I've sinned against that. And the Father doesn't hear any of it. He interrupts everything He's saying and says, Hey, my Son's home. Bring shoes. Bring robe. Bring ring. Love it. He never even gets a chance to, for this whole, his whole spiel. Younger Son, He interrupts and says, It's right for us to celebrate. Your, your brother was dead. Remember, the son, when he, the older son when he's talking to father, says, your son spent money. But when father identifies, he says, your brother 
is he, he literally is all about union of the family. That's what it is. You sit on this side. You are? I'll preach to the empty chairs. I watched my nephew do it. <laughs> Father's about unity. Father's about coming home. This would be a good time to ask you, but I don't want to. I did not prime you to say if you're if you're a lost sinner, you can become a saint today. I'm here to tell you, you, you are beloved by the Father. You are sons and daughters of a living, loving Father. Just some of you may or may not know it yet. That's okay. Did you know you not knowing it does not change His heart about you? The Father didn't like lose His love for the Son and then it gets rekindled when the Son comes back. He always loved Him. He always wanted Him. He always longed for Him. No matter where you are, whether you haven't spoken the name of God or said anything to Him in 7 or 8 or 10 or 20 years, He has never changed His mind about you. He is extravagantly in love with you and He's willing to forsake all that is in heaven so that He can have a relationship with you. And He proved it by giving the life of His Son. Jesus is saying, look boys, you missed it. He's not like that at all. You don't earn your way with Him, and you don't lose your place in line with Him. He is, and His love is, and it always will be. Paul finally called it in, in the New Testament and said, I suppose that neither death, nor life, nor things to come, nor things present, nor things not seen, nor demons, nor angels, nor any other thing will ever be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ. Jesus is saying, this is what Father looks like. He is raging love. That's what he is. He's an inferno of love, and you'll never escape those flames. Amen. Now that's a good word. You can go home and put your head on your pillow and know, Heavenly Father is absolutely in love with you. Are you saying I don't need to get saved? I'm saying we need to look a whole lot closer at what salvation actually is and what it is not. And I can tell you what it is not. is not repeating a magical prayer and feeling better about yourself at the end of the day and doing it again next week because you messed up through the week. That narrative needs to change real quick. I'll tell you something else. The word salvation is not about just saving soul from hell, but it's about even healing your natural body. But a lot of people don't preach that. That's why Jesus said, Jesus was talking about salvation. When they brought a man in, he was wrapped up. Remember, he couldn't walk. And Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. He does not say at first, get up and walk. And why? Because he's trying to tell them there are two parts to your salvation. It's not just about sins are forgiven. It's also about you can rise up and walk. But everybody wants to preach the sins are forgiven part right now, which is true. Everybody wants to preach if you say the sins are forgiven. But those same men, if they had the spirit and the character of God, they'd say, not only is that, but, but, but here, because your sins are forgiven, your life can be restored, your body can be healed, your mind can be renewed. You... That's as much a part of your salvation as anything. 
I didn't preach this message to say, now come and get right with the Father or rededicate yourself for the 900th time to the Father. I came to say, you've been wearing blinders possibly, and all I wanted to do was say, look, let me take those blinders off. I told you last week I had a friend of mine that called me. The most profound thing God said to me in years, or at least that I heard in years, might be a better way to put it, because I think he's always speaking profound things. I don't even believe there were 400 silent years. I just think for 400 years there wasn't a man of God on the earth with, with enough gumption to shut up and listen to what he was saying. It's just a belief. Don't, don't, don't tell me to, to ask over that. <coughs> Josh, my, my daughter strung out on meth. She was, too. I'd helped him a lot. You know, so I said, what preachers say? I said, well, she's just running from God. And I mean immediately, boom, like a bolt of lightning, the Lord spoke to me clearly and said, no, she's not. People do not run from me. People don't run from God. They run from a false image of God. Because if they ever see Father clearly, they will always, everyone, run to the Father. Remember, it was the Son remembering how good the Father was and how everyone in His house is taken care of. That says, my God, even in my Father's house, even the slaves have food to eat. And I'm going back to where it's good. I'm going back to where I'm loved. I'm going back to where I can be fed because Father's always good. It's always been the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. Not the fear of a flame, but the love, the fierce love of a Father. If you use fear of flame to get someone into kingdom, you're going to have to use fear of flame to keep them in. And in reality, they're not coming into his kingdom. They're coming into yours. And by and large, your kingdom's going to fail. But his will never fail. I'd rather be an ambassador to his kingdom than a king of my own. And that's exactly what I am. First John, we preached it last week. Fear is a liar. Fear is a manipulator. And if you're afraid of punishment, your love has not been perfected. It's not been matured. You don't understand the love of Father. My job today is just to give you a little more of a taste of what His love actually is and what it is not. You can't earn your way and you can't lose your way. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for being the prodigal Father, the extravagant spending, reckless loving Father that all of us need. We thank you that we can't lose our spot with you and we can't earn our way back with you. You just are. And because you are and you've chosen this way, we are sons and daughters. Help us, Father, to see, to feel, to receive, to experience this extravagant love. And as we begin to receive that love, Lord, then we can love ourselves. And as we love ourselves, then we can love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Because we can't love our neighbors as we love ourselves if we don't love ourselves. But if we see ourselves as we really are, then we can fall back in love with ourselves. And then we can love our neighbors the way they deserve to be loved. I pray for that, Lord. I pray that this will be the generation that would see themselves, their full identity as sons and daughters of heavenly loving Father. that we have come to a place to understand there's nothing we can do that'll cause us our place in line in your family. There's not one thing we can do to earn a more special place or a closer seat at the table. That the table is spread 
the meal is set and you're just simply saying come we hear your voice we come to dine at that table thank you for bringing us back into perfect communion with you where what we see what we speak what we say is what we hear you speak and what we hear you say thank you for your Holy Spirit moving among these people They may or may not come up to the front and they're welcome to. They may or not pray in an altar and they're welcome to, Father. But I pray these words burn in their hearts forever. From the six-year-old to the 86-year-old in here, Father, that they would burn until they would know for the first time or hear afresh, wow, you really are crazy in love with me. I pray for that, Lord. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a hand in this place. Amen. So, this afternoon, am I, am I to announce this? I'm assuming. The celebration for Jackie's mom's here at 3 o'clock. I think it's 3 o'clock. At 3 o'clock. Come and be a part of that. Um, Aftershock, my wife has got plans for you tonight from, from 5 to 7 still. Use, yeah, come in the, the exterior door over there on the youth room. She'll have it propped open. So instead of coming through, because the, the, I don't know how long the celebration thing for Jackie will be. We don't want to interrupt that. So when you get here, just walk out down the corner of the building and that door will be open over there. Okay? Anything else for this week? Just go ahead and say it. If you're volunteering for the walkthrough Easter thing that Elizabeth and Sarah and some of the other, Brittany and some of the others are doing, where, what room? The, the, right here? She's going to meet up here in the corner in front of the, this booth, okay? So directly after church. Everybody else good? God bless you. God love you. We hope to see you next week.